Hello and welcome to The Advice Show, which will bring you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, Senior Reporter at CityYNMA, and today I'm joined by Terence Mole, Head of Investment Strategy and ESG at Seven Investment Management. Terence, welcome to The Advice Show and thanks for joining us today. Great, thank you. So today we're going to chat about the FCA's new rules on climate-related disclosures and what impacts these rules could have on financial planners, as well as how the proposed regulations would fit into established disclosures and regulations when they come into force this year. So essentially, in a nutshell, these new rules announced last month mean asset managers, life insurers and pensions firms will be required to disclose how they take climate-related risk and opportunities into account when managing their and their clients' investments. So, Terence, just for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a, a bit of a brief overview of the regulations and you know, why are they so important? Um, yes, great. Um, I think, in a sense, very little has changed with the new regulations. And if we take a step back, back in mid-2019, the UK was the first major economy to commit by law to net zero in 2050. Mm. And to do that needs huge cuts in emissions in the next 15 years. Very ambitious. And it's got a detailed net zero strategy. And we view these climate rules as part of the way in which the FCA and the authorities generally are going to push the UK economy in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think the key regulations are two. The first is that all firms with more than five billion pounds under management must explain how they take climate-related issues into account when they invest. Now, this has been very much kind of telegraphed for the last two or three years. Um, For instance, the UK Stewardship Code, which was upgraded this year, had that as one of its requirements. And so the authorities have said, listen, people, um, global warming must be part of your long-term investment decision-making and risk management. And the second key requirement, and this is relatively new, and I think it will be quite tricky and complicated, the second key requirement is that all funds and products will have to provide info about their likely impact on the climate. And so, for instance, for every £100,000 that you might have invested in a certain product, they'll have to say, yes, the underlying companies last year produced, let's say, 50 tonnes of carbon um, um, dioxide equivalent. And so that will enable investors to compare and contrast funds and products easily. And that is new and that is important to all of us. Hmm. Yeah, great. And do you believe you know, the FCA have come out where well, they announced these uh, new proposed rules and regulations, I think it was 20th December, so fairly recently. They said that you know, they're intended to provide clarity to clients and investors. Do you think that will be the case? And yes, very much so. I think that this is a big step forward because for the last few years, the FCA has been talking about this, but it hasn't been clear exactly what the new rules would be. Mm. And so there's been a lot of, I think, uncertainty within the investments industry. 
And I think the good thing about the new rules is that the authorities have made them clear and said, listen, these are the rules. This will be the framework for the next probably 10 or 20 years. And all your investment managers will be expected to follow this. And certainly we at Seven, um, we believe that this is the right kind of approach to take. Because you need a level playing field in which everybody knows what the rules are. Mm. And I think we've got that at last. And now it will be a case of fleshing out the details and working out how they apply to us. But we certainly feel far happier about the situation than, let's say, six or nine months ago, when we knew that something was going to happen, but we didn't know exactly what. Mm-hmm. And as well as that, you know, the FCA says that these new rules will provide international consistency you know, across the board, which is very important, of course. You know, in your opinion, I know they haven't been properly fleshed out yet, but in your opinion, do they? And obviously, how important is this? Um, This is very important, yes. And I think the answer to the question is mostly yes, because what you find is that the two key sets of regulators are the um, EU regulators and the UK regulators. Hmm. And I think what's been happening is that all these regulators, you know, whether it's in um, EU or UK, Singapore, Hong Kong, United States, they've all been talking to each other and they brought together broadly similar kind of framework about how climate-related issues will be taken into account when you invest. And I think this also makes sense. It makes it much easier for investors in different countries to be able to compare products and it makes it easier, of course, for firms to operate in different countries. And so I think it's all quite sensible. I think there are some differences. Like, for instance, the EU rule says that you have to take E, S, and G into account when you invest. So you have to take environment, social, and governmental. Hmm. While, while the UK rules focus on the environment only, on the climate only, but the climate component of the UK rules is very similar to the EU rules which I think is sensible. Um, And a lot of the measures that the UK regulators have come up with come from the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, Mm. which has been running for about the last, let's see, six or seven years or thereabouts. So it's a kind of internationally standardized set of measures. And this is something... When we did our submission to the FCA last year, we were pushing strongly for this because we thought it was exactly the right thing to do. So rather take a set of measures which have been tested um, internationally and which people learn, understand and apply them here in the UK. And so, for instance, the total carbon footprint, something like how many tons of carbon and dioxide did my portfolio emit last year. That's the kind of measure that the TF, that the TCFD has been putting forward, which the UK regulators have accepted, which I think is great. Very pleased with that. Do you think there will be any more tinkering going on to you know make it more standardised internationally? Um, obviously, this is just proposed rules and regulations at the moment, but is there more work to be done here? 
Um, I think there's always tinkering to be done, and there will always be fiddling at the edges. My suspicion is that there'll be tinkering in two regards, because the new measures, um, the UK rules, for the time being, they focus on scope one and two emissions. And scope one emissions are the emissions that a firm produces itself in the normal course of business. Mm. And, and scope two emissions are the emissions which it uses indirectly from the electricity and power that it uses. And those are fairly standardized. But the complications come regarding scope three, which is upstream or downstream emissions, which, of course, are particularly big. And if you're a coal company, for instance, you might produce coal, you might not have very much in the line of emissions directly, but but the users of that coal will have huge emissions. Mm. And it's not clear how those kinds of emissions will be taken into account in the whole process. So there'll certainly be extensions to include scope three, we think. And part of the problem at the moment is that if you look at the world's biggest companies, only about a third of them uh, uh, provide their scope three emissions right now anyway. Mm. And so we simply don't really know what we're dealing with. And there are some other complications. For instance, the EU, in its wisdom, has decided that nuclear power and natural gas will be part of the, the green transition, which, of course, is very controversial. Mm. And the UK authorities have been a bit unclear about this, but they quite like the idea of regarding nuclear as green, um, but they haven't made up their minds about that. So we shall have to see. How does that affect the regulation, though, if I may ask, in terms of, you know, gas is, uh, for, for many countries, um, especially the EU, you know, they're kind of labelling gas as part of the green transition, as you said, as well as nuclear power. How does that affect the regulations and the FCA's thinking when there's so much confusion over? Um... Yes, I think the way it tends to work is that there are these sectors of the economy which they regard as kind of transitional. So they don't want to have them around in the long run, but we kind of need them for the time being. And so we'll make special allowances for them. And so they are naughty, but we'll kind of tolerate them for the time yeah. being, which I think is a sensible kind of approach to take. Mm. Um, but... Um, um, obviously, the devil is in the detail, particularly when it comes to areas as controversial as nuclear, which the German Greens are up in arms about, hmm. and, and for that matter, natural gas. Because natural gas is, let's face it, it's a gigantic polluter and hmm. very, very bad polluter. And you might regard it as part of a path to the better future, but it's a very bad path, let's face it. Hmm. No, very much so, very much so. And on the FCA's release last month, um, you know, it, it mainly focused on you know, asset managers, life insurance and pensions firms. Um, in terms of you know, broadening that scope moving forward, I mean, what does this mean for financial planners at the moment or financial planning firms? For the time being, not very much, but it's clear that in the medium term, 
The FCA and the UK authorities want the UK economy to decarbonize. Mm. And, and they want individuals to have the choice about knowing exactly the cleanness or dirtiness of the product that they want to invest in. But I think taking a step further down the line, the authorities are also threatening that within a certain amount of time, probably about three years, three years away, they want all firms to explain how they are going to move towards being carbon neutral. And so, for instance, the likes of uh, okay, it might be relatively easy for a bank, let's say for Lloyd's, but it'll be far more difficult, obviously, for the likes of Shell. And so it, it appears as though the UK regulators will be saying to Shell, um, um, listen, Shell, by the year 2050, we want you to be carbon neutral. How exactly are you going to do that? And we want stages along the way, 2030, 2040, 2050. And I think what that will mean for us as investors will mean that we will also be forced to come up with plans about how we can make our investments carbon neutral. So we'll have to take the climate and carbon neutrality very seriously into account. And we'll all, as investors, as planners, we'll have to make sure that we understand the world and the products that we're investing in so that we can come up with plausible net zero plans over the next 10 to 30 years. Do you think, you know, in your opinion, or you know, some investment management's opinion, do you think planners should have been involved in this paper now? Or do you think this is a, an FCA is just trying to um, you know, sort out the, the bigger problem first and then sort out planners later by including them at a later stage? From what I understand, the thing is that the regulations only apply to firms above £5 billion. Mm. And most financial planners, of course, um, happily below that, so won't be affected directly to begin with. And so, effectively, the FCA was targeting the top, I think it was the top 142 or so asset managers in the UK. But the FCA did make it very clear, crystal clear, that the £5 billion limit is going to come under review. And my suspicion is that over time it will gradually be brought down. Mm. And so if I was a financial planner, I would begin to think about that now. Because I think the overall direction of travel is very clear. Mm. Now, it's possible that they'll never actually include all financial planners within the um, within the ambit of the rules, simply because the cost for the small ones would be too high, which is fair enough. But I think the overall direction of travel is clear. Would you like to see a broader brushes as possible on this? I mean, yes, obviously some smaller financial planners um, with limited assets are going to be paying, you know, uh, amount that's, which is too much, not terribly fair, but would you like to see as broad as possible when it's affordable? Um, you know, my suspicion is that the five billion limit is about right. Um, because we at 7IM have been 
looking at these regulations very closely, we've been building up our knowledge in the last couple of years. Hmm. And let's face it, these things are expensive because there are quite ex extensive data requirements. You need people, you need skills, you need outside inputs, you need to talk to consultants. And so there are costs and expenses. And I think it would simply not be fair to apply these costs and expenses to firms under, let's say, £5 billion. Hmm. So I think the FCA is right for the time being, but they may, ha but they most likely have plans to lower the limits later on. Watch this space, I suppose. Now, um, we've covered this briefly before, but I think a bit of you know, unpacking this a bit would be would be very helpful for the listeners as well, especially those advisors that are um, that will listen to this and which are you know heavily in involved um, in ESG investing at the moment, which is many. You know, to what extent, really, do these new climate disclosure rules you know, help the UK to decarbonise and move towards net zero? I mean, there's a lot of bluster around it, but how helpful will they be? Yes, you're quite right. There's a lot of bluster. And I think the answer, and now it's time to be controversial, I think the answer is yes and no. I think these new rules are half the story, but only half. And there's a huge part of the story that is simply completely missing. And sometimes it drives me absolutely mad that there's very, very little uh, uh, public debate about it. Mm. What we actually need, if we are to decarbonize, both in the UK and in the world, what we simply need is carbon taxes. Yep. So, so if people emit, um, if people produce carbon dioxide, they should be charged for that. The fundamental problem at the moment worldwide is that the people who are doing the emitting are not being charged for that. Mm. And an economist call this an externality. And so, for, in, for instance, power, point, power plants everywhere can burn coal, but they're not being charged for the damaging effects that this has on the environment. And I think very simply that emitters should be charged for the privilege of emitting. Hmm. And what's really interesting, you know, is that the International Monetary Fund has been arguing this for a while. And I think that they are very clear and very right about this. And they say that what we need is a kind of global floor price so that anybody anywhere in the world, if they emit any carbon dioxide, they should be charged for that. Hmm. Somewhere between $25 in poor countries and $75 in rich countries. And I think that's absolutely right. And what effects would that have? It's really interesting if you think of the effects of a carbon tax. Um, if you think of its effects in the UK, a carbon tax would raise the price of energy and it would encourage clean energy big time, hmm. which is exactly what we need. It would provide the government with revenue, and the government could use that revenue to help to pay for, to help to, um, to help out people, particularly poor people who suffer from higher energy prices. Hmm. And very importantly, it would provide a signal to the oil and gas industry um, 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 a signal about the future and the likely future trajectory of energy prices. And instead, what we have at the moment 
in some ways is the worst of all possible worlds. Mm. Like the oil and gas companies don't know what kind of future we are going into. So they are not investing, which means that production of oil and gas is falling. Like just to note in passing, more than 85% of the world's energy still comes from fossil fuels. So we're going to be relying on it for quite a while yet. But if the fossil fuel producers aren't producing, it means that prices go up, which means that we all get bust by higher prices, except that instead of the revenues going to government, which could use it to the benefit of the UK economy, the revenues go to Russia and to Saudi Arabia. Mm. And like, there's just nothing good about that at all. And so I think these new ESG regulations are part of the story, but without carbon taxes, we will never get anywhere remotely close to net zero, mm. sadly. How realistic, in my native Australia, carbon tax was a very big deal between, <laughs> uh, I think it was, what, 2007, 2008, 2011, when the, um, the Liberals scrapped it in the end. Um, but, you know, I don't want to bang on about that too much. But um, how realistic is a carbon tax worldwide, or at least for the, the bigger polluting countries? Or indeed, the bigger um, uh, polluting export companies, uh, countries rather? Yes, that of course is the heart of the problem, because carbon taxes tend to be politically unpopular. Mm. And, and unfortunately, in most countries, politicians, I think, are simply too weak and lily-livered to go ahead with carbon taxes. Mm. And in places like the United States, they've been talking about them for years, but the plans now seem to have kind of dissipated. Um, the problem is, for the time being, they are not on the political agenda, unfortunately. I think in the long term, they have to be. And, and unfortunately, the world might need to get a whole lot um, hotter and with more environmental destruction before they come back onto the agenda the way that they should. Mm. I, th I think the problem with these ESG regulations, which we have in almost all countries, is that what governments are trying to do is to push private business and investors to do its work for it. Yep. And so government doesn't want to have carbon taxes, and so they try to push us to push firms to invest in clean energy and to do all these nice things. But, you know, that's simply not our job. That's not what we're good at. We don't have the capabilities to be able to do that. Mm. And so, so that simply won't happen on the scale that is needed. Um, 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 I've seen estimates, which I think are plausible, that the world needs about three to five trillion dollars of new investment every year for the next 15 to 30 years if we to have a chance of getting to net zero hmm. and and with all these esg regulations we are simply not going to do that only way that we could do that would be with the help of a carbon tax carbon tax certainly and as well as you know i suppose as you said before with the oil and gas companies you know do you also need more consistency from government in terms of you know what they need to do or what the actual path is, instead of you know wishy-washy policy. Um, yes, that's exactly right. I think if government could clarify the path, then oil and gas companies would have an incentive to invest in a way that they simply don't have at the moment. Um, 
And I think it's the clarity of that path which both oil and gas companies need and clean energy producers need. Mm. I think the whole of the industry needs, and it simply doesn't have at the moment. And uh, finally, COP26 was fairly recently. How effective do you, do you think that was? Um, <laughs> yes, when I think of COP26, you know, I think of George Bush. It was one of the George Bushes. I think it was George Bush Jr. Mm. And he used to talk about... Uh, uh, when things were exaggerated, he used to talk about them as being all hat and no cattle. Yes. <laughs> and I think that COP26 was a bit like that. It was a very, very, very big hat and a very, very small cow, unfortunately. Mm. And 40,000 important people from around the world went to Glasgow, stayed in expensive hotels and talked importantly about the future of the world and ended up reaching a very, very weak pact at the end of it. Hmm. And, you know, if I look at the pact, I think that basically they got one out of four. Yeah. You know, if, if this is a global warming exam, they got 25%. Yeah. I think that what they got right was that just about everybody worldwide these days agrees that we should be aiming to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. And there were various side deals along those lines. Good goal, and that was exactly right. But in terms of three huge areas, they just fell so far short. The first of these, in the agreement, they mentioned coal once. Yeah. Now, coal is the world's biggest, nastiest single polluter. And they said, we're going to phase down coal. You know, I'm sorry. If we are genuine about getting to net zero, we have to eliminate coal as fast as possible. Hmm. We can't just phase it down. We have to get rid of it. ASAP. Extraordinary. Um, and I think that was a huge failure. Secondly, and, and this is even more extraordinary, how many times do you think they mention oil in the pact? And the answer is Zero. They did hmm. not mention oil. Now, if we to get to a clean world, oil has to be cut down enormously. But they didn't even mention it. And the third gigantic hole in the pact was that there's no mention of carbon taxes, what we were talking about a few moments ago. Hmm. Um, and so there's no... So the pact was all very nice, but it had no means of getting to its goal. Because without carbon taxes, the whole approach simply has no teeth. And so I think it is basically a very nice talk shop. And important people talking to each other, but most of it will not happen, unfortunately. Hmm. So in a nutshell, much, much, much more needs to be done. Yes, exactly right. Hmm. And I think you can regard it as the beginning, but there's lots more work to be done. And most likely that work will not be done in public with lots and lots of reporters around, but kind of, you know, we need negotiators to get together and to really talk seriously, not not swan around in public. Yeah, so less shopfront policy <laughs> and politics and more actual nitty-gritty serious policy discussions. Yes, precisely, yes. Well, hopefully, hopefully that will, will happen over the next 
you know, few years and not decades. But, uh, you know, watch this space, I suppose. But Terence, thank you very much for joining us today.